This is the Bible Line, a live radio call-in program with Dr. Carl Brogy. Dr. Brogy is the senior pastor of Community Bible Church of Beaufort, South Carolina. And for the next hour, he's available to answer your questions, providing biblical insight and wisdom for everyday Christian living. Our phone lines are open, and if you have a question, you may call 525-1859 locally, or outside the immediate area, call toll-free 877-924-7980. Now let's join Dr. Carl Brogy. Study and show yourself approved of God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth. We welcome you this hour to the Bible line. There are always many first-time listeners. Some just driving down the highway and they see it on our sign outside. And it's an opportunity for you to call in with questions uh, that you may have as you're studying God's Word. Maybe there's a particular issue that you're facing in your church life, your ministry life, your family life, or just a passage of Scripture you're struggling with and you'd like a biblical counsel. If we can be of help, by God's grace, we will do the very best that we can. With that said, uh, you can contact us through a number of venues. Uh, locally, the 843 South Carolina Exchange is 525-1859. Toll-free, our 877 toll-free number is the call letters WAGP980, WAGP980. 980, or you can email us here directly here into the studio, and the email address is TBL, stands for the Bible line at WAGP.net. Rick, uh, we're excited about October for the people of Community Bible Church uh, because every year we have held traditionally since the early 1990s what we call the Fall Festival or the Harvest Festival, and it's going to be this Saturday, October the 30th. And so if you're listening, you're looking for just a great, healthy, wholesome event for the whole family, we'll be catering food for about 2000 It's all free. We'll have a carnival for the children beginning at 4 o'clock, hayrides, bonfires, just the whole shabam. It's going to be a lot of fun. So, uh, And then the next day is Friend Day at Community Bible Church on uh, Reformation Sunday, actually, as it falls this year, October the 31st. And it's an opportunity for people to uh, bring some unchurched friend. Maybe you don't attend Community Bible Church, but you have a friend that you know is lost, is best I can, with God's help, I simply present the plan of salvation using some passage of Scripture, and that's what we'll be doing this Sunday. So a great Sunday to bring someone who's unchurched or just lost or a believer who's looking for a church home. And with one the, of the things yeah. I always look at is uh, what is the weather forecast, and it's looking beautiful. Yeah. It's going to have some rain this Thursday, but right. then it's going to clear up by Friday morning, and then it'll be cool and crisp oh, on Great on for the fires. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. yeah, that's great. So good. Very, very good. So, well, let's go ahead and we'll get started here this morning. We'll right. take them one at a time. Very good. Kelly from South Carolina writes, My preacher talked about a book by Louis Giglio this past Sunday at church. He said it was a great book. I can't remember the name. I want to know more about Louis Giglio. What do you know about him? Is he someone who we should be following? Well, I've known him for a long time. I actually met him at the University of North Carolina where I was in staff with uh, Campus Crusade for Christ in the late 70s. I was there from 78 to 80. And we actually had uh, Billy Graham come and do a conference on the campus. And Louis Giglio uh, came not to speak with Dr. Graham, but 
he used to travel to campuses and do open air preaching and, um, you know, relatively sound brother. Um, and I would say that he's a brother. Some would take issues with it, issue with that. And, you know, sometimes you find out you're wrong. Uh, you know, sometimes the way it works is someone comes in and they look like wheat. When you only discover later on they were a weed, they were a tear. Uh, so we've seen, you know, I Kissed Dating Goodbye, a very popular book, and a pastor of a leading church of, you know, eight or 9,000, and today he totally renounces the Christian faith. So sometimes uh, people will surprise you that they never really truly knew Christ. Now, um, Lou Giglio pastors a church in Atlanta. Atlanta is a greater Atlanta, has now 10 million people, a huge, huge area, much in need of the gospel. And so um, his church uh, also hosts a number of conferences called the Passion Conferences. And he has some really pretty controversial people. Uh, Some would typically accuse him of saying, hey, if there's a popular speaker or even a popular music uh, artist, let's bring them in. And so they've used some controversial things from Hillsong, from Bethel, and both of those groups sadly have gone south, not only morally where they've been riddled with adultery and immorality as it's come out in the last two or three years, some who've walked away from the faith, singing some very popular songs. Um, Most of them have very little substance to them. Uh, There's just not much depth to them. Uh, But I wouldn't certainly want to support any music group that is heretical in their teaching. And Bethel is thoroughly inside and out uh, heretical teachers. And Hillsong works very closely with them. And of course, Lou Giglio at Passion Church in Atlanta has had both groups. Uh, The thing that the biggest problem I'd have with him is really on two levels. One is he is egalitarian in practice. Um, These are terms, egalitarianism and complementarianism, that every Christian needs to know. Uh, They're used in the secular realm, but kind of like the term anthropology, their origin was in the theological realm. Uh, With that said, complementarianism affirms that men and women are equal, but they have different roles. Uh, Egalitarianism says men and women are equal and they can have the same roles. So, for instance, uh, we are hosting a conference here at Community Bible Church in November, uh, to deal with political slash moral issues. There there are political and moral issues that have walked in the front door of the church. Uh, and sadly, in the Democratic platform of 2020, uh, their goal, among other things, is to ban reparative therapy. Reparative therapy is when someone comes into you as a pastor or a Christian counselor, and maybe it's a 10-year-old boy, and he says, I think I'm a girl. And you say, no, 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 no. God made you a boy. Uh, The sex that God gave you at birth is your sex. And you try to counsel them out of that. Well, Columbia made it against the law. It's against the law in Columbia. The city council made it against the law for Christian counselors, who for the most part are not in the local assembly. They are out in the community along with uh, Christian psychiatrists. And uh, it was sad, but that's what they did. And this is going to be an issue in our state, but it's going to be an issue on the federal level. And, of course, um, these are issues that have walked in the front door of the church. And so in the Democratic platform, and let me just say, let me just be very, very clear here. 
I am not a Republican because I believe in everything the Republican Party has taught or espoused. Because there are many Republicans who also stand for evil things. The only reason I am registered as a Republican is because they more closely follow a biblical worldview. They don't have in their platform that it's okay to kill a baby up until one second before it's born. The Democrats believe that. They herald and promote in their platform, read it, LGBTQ rights. And they have in their platform to make it against the law for people to ban um, reparative theology or reparative counseling or whatever term you'd like to use to apply teaching someone that homosexuality, lesbianism, uh, transgenderism is wrong, it's evil, and it needs to be repented of. Where is this going to lead? It's going to lead to, I think, a tax-exempt status uh, being lost for churches that don't agree with this platform if it becomes law. So these are important issues. So my, my point in all of this is we're having a, a conference for pastors. And, I, and so it's for men pastors. So when I say um, we're having a, a conference for, for men who are pastors, that immediately says I'm complementarian and not egalitarian. Uh, and it has nothing to do with uh, women not being able to voice their view. But if there are no such thing as pastorettes and the Bible doesn't teach there are, now you can say you're a pastor and be a woman, but you're not a pastor in God's eyes. Now, you may have the gift of pastor teacher to shepherd other women, but you're not a pastor in God's eyes. That is an office restricted for men. And so Lou Giglio has blurred those lines. Why? Well, you know, I think he likes to be liked. I I don't know what else his motivation would be like for drifting into this theology. So Beth Moore preached in his church on Mother's Day. Beth Moore opened the scriptures. It's not like she shared her testimony or told about. She opened the scriptures and she taught just like a man. That's in violation of 1 Timothy chapter 2. But he doesn't seem to really care. And then add to that, he is espousing dominion theology. Uh, Dominion theology is largely spearheaded today by a group called the NAR, the New Apostolic Reformation Movement. And it's a whole army of people uh, that can be represented in different denominations, but they claim to be current-day apostles, that they are able to um, speak authoritatively in a way that would change the culture and bring Jesus back. It's really kind of a form of post-millennialism, that the world will get better and the church can make it better. And so it's a denial, of course, of the role that God has on Israel, and it's also a denial of what God says will happen at the end of time. And it leaves, in my opinion, people ill-prepared for the last days, uh, the last of the last days that we need to be very much prepared for because things are not going to get better. Things are going to heat up. Uh, Certainly, God could send a revival and change everything, but the fact that he has put so many prophetic issues in line— You almost have to be blind to miss this. So I'm not a Lou Giglio fan. Um, His uh, preaching is milky. There's very little substance to it. People can't grow in that church and mature in that church. But if you want your ears tickled, 
attend Passion Church in Atlanta, and he'll do a good job doing that very thing. Let's go to the next question. All right. 843-525-1859. If you have a question on today's Bible line, April writes us from Tennessee. She says, I support a ministry that a close friend founded. It is successful in reaching our youth for Christ, but today I was reading a part of their mission statement, and it referred to sin as mistakes. I want to bring this up to my friend, but I feel like I would benefit from your point of view concerning this. Well, I suppose you could technically say that a sin is a mistake and that it errs from God's truth. But typically, people who habitually refer to sin as a mistake uh, tend to want to soften the message so as not to be offensive. And Listen, before you can get a person saved, you have to get them lost. And so Jesus directly confronted people as sinners. The New Testament epistles directly confront us as sinners who need a Savior. And until a person really sees that we're dead in our trespasses and sins, and the word sin, hamatia, the noun hamatano, the verb, means to miss the mark or to fall short. And so God uses, in both Hebrew and Greek, an archery illustration to picture for us that we have missed the bullseye, so to speak. We fall short of the righteousness that is necessary to have a relationship with God. And we're not only dead in sins, we're dead in our trespasses. The word trespass is a compound Greek word that literally means a false step. So not only have we not done those things that we should have done, we've fallen short, we've rebelled against those things that we should have done. And so sins of commission and omission were dead and trespasses and sin. And so Paul will go on to describe and say that by nature, we are children of wrath. So again, you don't want to soften the message. And I certainly would not uh, put in a doctrinal statement that man is just guilty of mistakes. Because if it's a mistake, you know, we tend to think, well, you know, hey, it's a, it's a, just a just a common mistake. He didn't mean to do it. It's just a mistake. And we tend to really soften what God has said. And that leaves people blinded uh, to the consequences that sin brings. The person who sins must die, the prophet says repeatedly in the book of Ezekiel. The wages of sin is death. God calls us sinners as lost people. When we're saved, we are declared by the grace of God to be saints. But I think it's a mistake. And I'd have to read the whole doctrinal statement to be fair to that assembly. Uh, Maybe they bring it out in other places very clearly and they're trying to communicate. But uh, I think it's a mistake generally. Um, Here I am using the word mistake. But generally it's, it's an error not to represent in a clear, concise way. It's much like Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14. Of course, he's speaking in the context of uh, tongues, and you had people in the Corinthian church who came into the assembly, and they spoke in a tongue, and it's unlike the tongues of today in that it was a real known language that was not native to the person's birth and that they had never learned or studied before. And yet they were able to, um, by the grace of God and the power of the Holy Spirit, speak in a language that they did not previously know. And, of course, the problem was is that, again, this is before the Bible was completed, 
The problem was if someone spoke in this foreign language and someone didn't interpret what was being said, then they were speaking into the air, so to speak. And and Paul likens it to uh, a person. Uh, well, let me read it to you. He said, for if the bugle produces an indistinct sound, who will prepare himself for battle? So also you, unless you utter by the tongue speech that is clear, how will it be made known what is spoken for you'll be speaking into the air? And so his point was, is that we need to speak clearly. And sadly, we're living in a day where there's not a clear message that's coming from the Bible because we don't want to be offensive. And that's why our country is fast going down into a, uh, just a spiral downward into sin, into a cesspool of iniquity. Uh, we, we need to open the Bible and just say what God says and trust the Spirit of God to bring people into the kingdom and not man's manipulative tricks. Let's go to the next question. 843-525-1859. If you have a question on today's Bible line, and Sonia from Rincon, Georgia, writes, I am reading through Zechariah, and I have some questions regarding chapter 4, verses 11 to 14. What is the meaning of the two olive trees, the two branches, and of the gold pipes pouring out a golden oil? Do these pertain to a prophecy that has already been fulfilled or one yet to be fulfilled during the tribulation? And do these represent the two witnesses, perhaps Elijah and Moses, that will preach during the tribulation? Well, it's a good question. You know, as you approach a book of the Bible, it is always helpful to get the big picture of the book because as you get the big picture, it helps you to put the component parts together more accurately. To capture the big picture of a book, you have to read it over and over and over and over again. And so typically when I begin a book of the Bible, uh, before I begin teaching it, I've read it through many, many times. And you begin to see how it all fits together, and you don't end up misrepresenting the book where you're in chapter 20. Oh, but in chapter 31, he said this. If I had just read this ahead of time, I might have understood this chapter differently. So it keeps you honest. It keeps you accurate. But seeing the big picture helps you to see, again, the component parts. So as you read through the prophet Zechariah, and I spent some time two years ago in in 9 through 14, just in my quiet times, and just just absorbing all that the prophet said. But the book basically divides into three sections. Chapters 1 through 6, he, he unfolds eight visions. In chapters 7 and 8, four messages. And then in chapters 9 through 14, he, he gives two burdens uh, that God has given him. And so it's not really until you come to 9 to 14 that you're directly in the prophetic section of the prophet. And by prophecy, I mean looking way down the corridors of time. Remember, Jesus said, the scriptures speak of me. Moses saw my day and rejoiced. Um, likewise, he, uh, he said, well, Abraham saw my day and rejoiced. Moses wrote of me. So Jesus said the scriptures, and of course, when he said this, the first word of the Old Testament had not even been penned. They're about me. And so when you come into an Old Testament book, you ought to be able to find Christ either in a direct revelation or prophecy or foreshadowing, but he's in there somewhere if you will look carefully. But it's not exclusively about the Lord Jesus in the sense that many times they're addressing issues and topics that are facing them in their particular day. But when you come to the final section, chapters 9 through 14, it's clearly prophetic. It's looking down the corridors of time and addresses two principal issues. One is the rejection of the Messiah, that when the Messiah would come, that for the most part the nation would turn away from him. 
and then the reign of the Messiah. And so we often speak of how the Lord Jesus will come back. He'll put his feet on the Mount of Olives. He'll split it in two. Uh, Those are events yet to be fulfilled. So you're in the eight vision section, chapters one through six. When you come to chapter four, let let me just, again, for context, pick it up here in verse one. Then the angel who was speaking with me returned and roused me as a man who is awakened from his sleep. He said to me, what do you see? And I said, I see and behold a lampstand, all of gold and its bowls on top of it, and its seven lamps on it with seven spots <laughs> belonging to each of the lamps, excuse me, which are on the top of it. And also two olive trees by it, one on the right side of the bowl and the other on its left side. So that's the vision that he sees. And then I said to the angel, who was speaking to me saying, what are these, my Lord? You know, what exactly do these two olive trees filling these, uh, this bowl that fills these seven lamps represent? Uh, What are these, my Lord? So the angel who was speaking with me answered and said to me, do you not know what these are? And I said, no, my Lord. Then he said to me, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, saying, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. So Zerubbabel, he's the governor. He's identified in the fourth chapter. So there are two key individuals in the first eight chapters. There's Zerubbabel, and then there's this fellow who's the high priest, Joshua, not the son of Nun, an entirely different Joshua. Remember, Zechariah lives around 520. Um, Haggai, or Haggai, if you prefer, uh, identifies Zerubbabel in his book. So these two guys are contemporaries. And Zerubbabel is uh, commissioned with a task to rebuild the temple. If you remember after the Babylonian captivity, the people came back, they laid a foundation, and then they were somewhat paralyzed, and very little happened after that. Of course, um, Nebuchadnezzar totally destroyed it. And so God is giving this civic leader, this governor, really some great encouragement. He's saying it's not by your might. It's not by your strength but it's by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. And that's something that we, especially as New Covenant believers, can cling to. The spirit, ruach in Hebrew, the ruach, if you want to gutterize it. Um, The ruach, the spirit, is involved in the creation of the world. It's the spirit of God, according to Exodus 15, that splits the Red Sea in two. Uh, It's the spirit of God in that great dry bones prophecy uh, that makes um, physically gathered Israel come to life, where they come to acknowledge uh, Jesus as the Messiah. That is yet future, it is going to happen. And it's the Spirit of God who lives in you. So it's not by our might or by our strength, but by the Spirit, says the Lord. So he's giving him some encouragement. So we go on, we pick it up in verse 7. What are you, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel, you will become a plain, and he will bring forth the top stone with shouts of grace, grace. He's just reminding him that all that he's been tasked with, though it seems like a a mountain of a task, God's going to level it out because he's going to supply continually, habitually the strength that he needs in order to pull off the rebuilding of the temple. The supply will come through the Spirit. So, honing in a little closer as we approach your question, also the word of the Lord came to me saying, The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this house, and his hands will finish it. So it's a promise. What you've started, you're going to finish. 
Then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you, me being the angel. For who has despised the day of small things? But these seven will be glad when they see the plumb line in the hand of Zerubbabel. These are the eyes of the Lord, which range to and fro throughout the whole earth. So he's living in the day of what we might call small things. He's at a task. He's been at it for 20 years. It's a mountain of a task, but he is going to accomplish the task and he's going to accomplish it because it will become, it will happen by the spirit of the Lord. Then I said to him, what are these two olive trees on the right side of the lampstand and on its left? And I answered the second time and said to him, what are the two olive branches? So he moves from two olive trees to two olive branches, which are beside the two golden pipes, which empty the golden oil from themselves. So he said to me saying, do you not know what these are? And he said, I don't know. No, I don't know, my Lord. He said, these are the two anointed ones who are standing by the Lord of the whole earth. So the two anointed ones that are described in this book, the two literally sons of oil in Hebrew are Zerubbabel and Joshua, the high priest. And God is simply making a promise to them that they're going to complete the task for which God has entrusted to them, not by their strength, but by his might, and that there'll be a continual supply, you know, filling the oil lamps in the temple that were habitually lit was an ongoing, tedious, strenuous act of worship, and they had to do it. But God is saying, I'm going to supply it in a way that there will be these two olive trees, and there'll be two branches connected to the olive trees that are likened to the two anointed ones, namely contextually Zerubbabel and Joshua, that the Lord is going to use to supply this. So again, when you put the big picture together, you can see what he's saying, but what a beautiful imagery. If you want to, I've taught a course on pneumatology. Pneumatos is the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. Pneumatos is the word for spirit. So pneumatology is a study of the Holy Spirit. And one of the many images that are used to describe the Holy Spirit is that of oil. And oil lubricates it. And we need the power of the Spirit because it keeps friction away from the church. He builds unity. He heals. He lights. He warms. And and so you have these two men, and God often works in peer, pairs, whether it's Moses and Elijah or Joshua or Caleb and, or Elijah and Elisha or Paul or Barnabas or, or in this case, Zerubbabel and Joshua or the Lord sends us out two by two. I, I never have gone out witnessing typically alone. Uh, if I'm going to go visit someone, I always have someone with me. Why? Because, one, I need some backup. I need someone who will pray for me. Sometimes they will add to the conversation an insight that they are observing that God's laying on their heart, but also for protection so that my testimony can never be called into question. And and there are coming two witnesses even in the future, but this has nothing to do that. That that would be violating the context and reading into the text something that is not clearly taught. Good question. Let's go to the next one. All right, we've got a live caller standing by. Let's go to them now. Thanks for holding. Good morning. You're on the Bible line. Hey, good morning. Yeah, this is David uh, from Columbia. How are you all doing? Hey, David. Doing well. Thank you. Good. Yeah, I just wanted to ask a quick question, and then I'll hang up and listen. But, yeah, I just know what we're going on with our country right now, and I understand, you know, Romans 13 and what that tells us right there at the beginning uh, of that chapter. And I'm just wondering, you know, when we have that, but then we have a Constitution that was written as a law for our country, what do we do as Christians when our own government is writing laws or mandating things that are contradicted to the Constitution? Uh, and I'm just wondering how, how to how to 
deal with that and answer that for other people? That's a great question, David. And I would say first and foremost, vote, because we're in a republic and we have the opportunity to express our point of view. I know you're in Columbia, uh, but for instance, we have two critical issues that are coming up next Tuesday in Beaufort. And many times you will find um, local politicians wanting to pull off an issue that they couldn't pull off in a midterm election or a presidential election when people turn out in droves. So, for instance, there was a Tuesday, November, and I asked uh, the people because we have a we allow uh, a polling place here at Community Bible Church for people to come uh, to be able to express their opinion. It's not a Republican-Democrat thing, just for a place for people to vote. And I said, oh, has it been a busy day? You had many people come in? And, uh, well, we had 12. Oh, well, now I don't vote in here at this spot. My spot is out in Seabrook, but 12 people. So um, many people know, hey, look, this is a kind of a an off-election and one, your taxes are going to go up if they pass it. And what they do is they, they try to get five or 600 people via phone calls who will go out and vote. So I say vote and vote next Tuesday if you're listening to me because there's two big issues. I'm voting no on both of them. You vote your conscience. You vote what God leads you to do. But vote and vote in an informed way. But our Constitution, because we are a republic, gives us a freedom to express our point of view. And so I think a lot of people were buffaloed and they thought, oh, you know, I don't like Trump. He's somewhat uh, caustic, maybe a little abrasive. Um, This man says he's a moderate. He is going to, um, you know, bring us all together. And, of course, he's anything but moderate. But my view was, look, all I had to do was read the Democratic platform. And that said it all to me. Because when you read the platform, you soon discover, here's right out of the Democratic platform. Democrats applaud this year's U.S. Supreme Court decision that made clear that employment discrimination based on sexual orientation and gender identity violates the law. But we know we still have to work to, to do to ensure LGBTQ plus people are treated equally under the law and in our society. We will fight to enact the Equality Act and at last outlaw discrimination against LGBTQ plus people in housing, public accommodations, access to credit, education, jury service, and federal programs. Okay, now that's interesting. Again, look, I don't hate homosexuals or transgender people, but by the grace of God, there go I. But neither do I want to promote what was... 45 years ago, illegal in all 50 states. But as we're, again, becoming non-biblicists, we don't have a sharpened worldview because the church is so weak, people will invite anything. We will work to ensure LGBTQ plus people are not discriminated against when seeking to adopt or foster children. Do I like that? No. You know, do I like that the Secretary of Transportation married a man and they adopted a set of twins, a boy and a girl. No, I don't like that at all. Uh, I am thankful, though, for the promise that where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. Continuing, Democrats will ensure federally funded programs for older adults um, are inclusive for LGBTQ plus seniors, recognizing that LGBTQ plus youth and adults suffer 
from significant health disparities, including mental health and substance use disorders. Of course, they're under such guilt, such inner turmoil, going against the dictates of the law of God that's written into their heart. Of course, they're having mental health problems. Of course, these LGBTQ youth have a high suicide rate because there's this internal war fighting their conscience. But no, we, 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 we want to... We want to help this as we continue to teach youth that this is normal. Democrats will expand mental health and suicide prevention services and ban, here it is, ban harmful conversion therapy practices. That's what we spoke of earlier in the broadcast today. That will make it illegal like it is in the city that you live in. They pulled off in the city of Columbia, the city council. They made it against the law. And they put some teeth in it, not only a $500 fine, but the ability for the police to arrest you if you as a Christian counselor or Christian psychiatrist um, exercise conversion therapy. That is, someone comes in and you're saying, no, it's not normal to be homosexual. Look, it is an issue of authority. That's what it all boils down to. Either the Bible is the authoritative word of God or it is not. Either homosexuality or transgenderism is an utter perversion or it's something that we should embrace. So if God is your authority based on Scripture, there's no way as a Christian you can embrace this any more than you can embrace killing a baby up until the day before it's born, up until the last second before it's born. But that's what this platform endorses. How would I ever, under God's heaven, want to endorse that kind of thinking? Not on your life. Now, if there was a Democrat who was pro-life, who represented marriage between a man and a woman, who represented religious freedom, and because what's going to happen in our state and in other places is that they're going to make conversion therapy because they're going to ban it on a federal level. You're going to lose your tax-exempt status. Okay, under the umbrella of religious freedom, you want to teach that homosexuality is wrong, but you will not have a tax-exempt status because that will be a hate crime. That's where this is all going. I said this 25 years ago, and people laughed at me. I can produce tapes from the 1990s when I said this. This is where it's all going. This is a society that is in a downspin. Now, you know, there's other issues too, obviously. You know, God is the one, Acts 17, who established borders. We have seen 1.7 million people cross the border, more since I think 1985 in any single year, from over 100 countries since our president took office. And on the first day of office, uh, released a, a, an agreement that we had with the country of Mexico, basically saying, come on in. What are they doing? They're saying, come on in and vote for our policies. That's what they're, that's the bottom line. That's why they're not doing anything. That's why our president has never in his 50 years of political office, not once ever even been to the Southern border. And if you say flying into El Paso to do some stump speech, when you're running for an office is visiting the Southern border, then I guess I'd have to take exception to that. So, but that's where we're at. I would recommend David, I have a sermon and I know um, you listen through the app because you've called us on occasion. 
God and government. That's the sermon, God and government. And I walk through some of these issues in detail and what is our responsibility as Christians. Now, our voice needs to be heard. And uh, we're not promised, um, you know, certain freedoms under a government by the Bible. We are promised persecution. But because we had a Judeo-Christian ethic uh, that in many ways shaped this nation, perfect? No, there are no perfect nations because there are no perfect people. But if you don't think we're a good nation, then, you know, I would say to someone listening, and we're just covered over in, you know, uh, evil, why do so many people want to come here? There's a reason. But the very things that made us great, they are fast dissolving. We're, we're headed for utter implosion. Um, just the money that's being borrowed, uh, we're headed for a financial implosion. It's not, it's not uh, if, it's when, if we continue, especially. So, 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 no, we need to exercise stewardship because we're citizens of heaven, but we're also citizens of this country, and we have a responsibility to be salt that dispels uh, darkness. He doesn't say you're light. He says, you are the light of the world. He doesn't say we're salt. He says, you are the salt of the earth. It's articular in both cases. There is no other light. There is no other true salt except that salt and that light that's based on the biblical ethic that's found in these 66 books, and we need to speak it. 843-525-1859. If you have a question on today's Bible line, we've got another live caller standing by. Thanks for holding. Good morning. You're on the Bible line. Good morning, gentlemen. Yeah, good morning. Thanks for calling, Alberto. What can we do? Go ahead. All the animals. When when, when the the God created them, all the animals. uh, Gotcha. I gotcha. Someone's beeping in on his phone. So let me just answer, Alberto. Uh, Number one, you know, many times when we think of dogs, like how did he name all the dogs? There's, you know, thousands of breeds of dogs. Yes. But originally there was one dog and, and oh, maybe God made, you know, several dogs. But, but there was a breed and it's through breeding and interbreeding that we have all these different nuances of dogs. But there was a dog, a male and a female. There was an elephant, a male and a female and so on and so forth. So, you know, people think of Adam sometimes as some dumb idiot, some, you know, uh, knuckle-dragging caveman. He's a pretty bright guy to be able to name the animals, and God gave him the capacity in his unfallen state not only to name the animal, but to remember the name of that critter after he named it. Uh, So when man fell, uh, our bodies fell in every respect. They're not as strong. Our brains are not as sharp. Uh, A lot went downhill. But no, God gave him the capacity. God never, let me say, this is just a good reminder. God never commands you to do something that he doesn't give you the capacity to perform. That's true today. It was true in Adam's day. If God said, Carl, jump over this church building, that would be impossible. I I couldn't do it because I don't have the equipment to do that. But God doesn't ask me to jump over this two-story building here at Community Bible Church. But whatever he does ask me to do, he gives me the means through God the Holy Spirit who strengthens me to accomplish everything 
that's within the will and purpose of God? Great question. Let's go to the next. All right. We had another caller that dictated their question. They would like you to address if there is anywhere in the Bible that says that someone should go into the house to pray for the spirit to be removed of a person who died there. No, there's not. So some people are a little bit superstitious sometimes, and they think there are ghosts and, you know, and, um, you know, this is just crummy theology that floats around uh, that some people have falsely embraced. Now, that doesn't mean that uh, if you have a home, a new home or a prior home, that you would ask God's blessing on that physical spot that those who come in uh, might know God's peace, uh, that those who come in lost might find salvation, that those who come in saved might be edified because of um, the work of God in your life. So certainly to ask God's blessing and two, to ask God to make you a good steward over the home. So if you want to do, quote unquote, a home dedication in that sense, great. But if you're saying, Lord, please get that demon out of this two by four in the wall, that's just, that's just craziness, not found in scripture. So you're asking a critical question because ultimately our authority is the Bible. The Bible is the authoritative word of God. So when someone comes up with these things, you always want to ask, um, well, where did you, where do you find that in the scripture? And if they say, well, I didn't find it in the scripture, God spoke to my heart. And so now we're living like the cults where we got new revelation. We've got something beyond the 66 books of the Bible. Now, there was a time, obviously, when God spoke in many portions and in many ways through visions and dreams. And, you know, obviously the first book of the Bible was not written until Moses comes along and he lives approximately 1500 years before Christ. And he gives us the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. So how did God speak? He spoke through various means and manners. But now we have a codified work that you cannot add or subtract to. And if you're not sure what that means, listen to my next to the last sermon on the book of Revelation. I think I did 72 sermons on Revelation. Listen to the next to the last sermon. We talk about the danger of adding or subtracting, but every cult is based on some vision, some dream, some extra revelation, some book beyond the 66 books of the Bible. And that's what the doctrine is that you've just presented to me is based on, something that's extra biblical and therefore should be thrown out and discarded. Let's go to the next question. All right, we've got another live caller standing by. Thanks for holding. Good morning. You're on the Bible line. Yes, good morning. This is uh, Mike from uh, Pooler, Georgia. Um, thank you, Dr. Burgoyce, for taking my call. I appreciate it. Um, can you hear me? Yes, I can. Thanks for calling, Mike. Appreciate okay. Yes. All right. All right. Um, I, I just, I just like to piggyback on um, uh, the one of the previous callers as he spoke about uh, our mandates to, um, you know, respect the the authorities uh, and with respect to the Constitution. Uh, I'd also like to ask for your opinion uh, as it relates to uh, vaccine mandates um, and how, as Christians, we need to uh, deal with that. I. I work locally at, at Gulfstream, and um, a lot of the larger companies are starting to think about making, uh, creating mandates, and, and uh, some of us feel that it's a violation of our personal freedoms. Uh, would you like to speak to that, please? Well, I appreciate it. It's a challenging issue. It's created an incredible amount of division in the body of Christ. Let me first say I'm not an anti-vaxxer, but neither am I a pro-mandate person. 
Uh, you know, I think it's um, uh, science by God's grace because he equips man with various means sometimes in which to uh, be utilized by him to bring about healing that, you know, we have such things as penicillin. When my dad was a boy, my dad was born in 1923, and, you know, some of his kids in the grammar school growing up, they they died of pneumonia. And, you know, his mother would give him this miserable tablespoon of cod liver oil every morning because it boosted the immune system and made you potentially less susceptible to colds that could lead to pneumonia. And this was a day, of course, before we ever had antibiotics. Uh, Obviously, there are other um, sicknesses that came through polio and mumps and measles and you know, all kinds of things that vaccines have been created for. So I'm not an anti-vaxxer, and, you know, I've said it a couple times here on the station when we planted the church in Savannah, uh, there was a lady who, um, I said, you know, Diane, why do you, you know, have the crutches? And she said, well, I, I have polio, and, you know, our family lived out in the country, and we just missed the polio vaccine, and I contracted polio. And uh, that that's kind of, you know, was sad, but God saw him and she had just like the best attitude in the world and God, God used her for, for good through it all. And so uh, I'm not an anti-vaxxer. Um, obviously, I think there's a lot of issues that are going on with this vaccine that, you know, you've got to weigh for yourself and let every man be convinced in his own thinking Uh Certainly, I want to travel. I'm going to Ukraine, God willing, uh, in early 2022 to do a pastor's conference for a few hundred pastors, and I won't be able to leave the United States to enter the Ukraine without that vaccination. Uh, God willing, I'm planning to go to Israel in May, and there's still some seats open if you're interested, but that window is closing because there's a six-month um or 90-day uh, time frame that you have to be registered before you can enter into Israel because they want to make sure that you are you and you're not some terrorist and not going to blow them up. And But there's still rooms, but you can't go into Israel without the vaccine. Uh, the sad thing is, is that, you know, people are mandating the vaccine for some folks who don't need it. I think it's well demonstrated that people who have had COVID, and I haven't had it, but people who have had COVID, that they have produced natural antibodies that allows them to fight it um, and allows them potentially maybe even to be stronger than someone who's been vaccinated. Now, we can debate that science. I don't think that it's the mark of the beast. I don't think that they're injecting some secret formula into you. What I do think, though, this is what I do think. I do think that this is a precursor to what's going to happen when the Antichrist comes. Uh, What drives people to the point of almost, you know, stupidity of wanting to promote people to get the vaccine? I mean, uh, Tim Keller. I don't like Tim Keller. I don't make any excuses for that. Uh, Someone called last week and they said, well, what what problems do you have with Tim Keller? Well, one, he denies Uh, the biblical role of creation that God created in six literal days. So, look, if you deny the historicity of Genesis 1 through 11, if you deny biblical history, you will end up denying biblical morality. And so he says, well, Genesis 1 is filled with contradictions against Genesis 2, 
unless it's poetry. And so he says Genesis 1 is just a piece of poetry. Well, the New Testament doesn't seem to think so when they give divine commentary on it. But lay that aside. I walk through the alleged contradictions between Genesis 1 and 2 that the liberals love to use. He's supposed to be a Christian apologist defending the Christian faith. Well, he came out last week for his way of thinking where they're creating seating for the vaccinated and seating for the unvaccinated. So if you want to sit in the main sanctuary, you've got to be vaccinated. So to me, I, I don't like this. I don't like where it's headed. Um, look, I've had Marines that I've counseled 17, 18 years in the Marine Corps, threatened with being discharged. And I said, you've got to think this through. Now, well, my conscience is screaming against me not to get it. Well, your conscience isn't always a reliable gu- gu- guide. You say, what do you mean, Pastor? That sounds heretical. It's not. Follow me. In Romans 14 and 15, Paul deals with weaker versus stronger brothers. And someone grew up under the Old Testament law where it was always a sin to eat pork or shellfish or whatever. And under the New Covenant, God made all foods clean uh, with the exception of drinking blood, Acts 15 affirms. And and so there's a lot of freedom. But someone with a weaker conscience might not be able to exercise that freedom. Well, do you want to stay as a weaker brother? No, you want to strengthen the consciences of those who are weak. That's Chapter 15, so someone might have a conviction because they have a weaker conscience, and that conscience needs to be strengthened with Scripture. With that said, I said to these brothers, there's some stewardship issues here, but you can throw it all away. This is what God wants you to do. I'd throw everything I owned away financially if, if, if they asked me to renounce Christ. You can have it all. I'm not renouncing Jesus. So, um, you know, you get away this, get away the fact that when you signed up, say, in the Marine Corps, you signed up under a different set of rules that a civilian does. Their goal, obviously, keeping people vaccinated is they're convinced medically that people who are vaccinated, if they get sick, because this is not like a vaccine like polio, obviously, so maybe we shouldn't call it a vaccine. Maybe we should call it a jab, as some people advocate. You know, you get the polio vaccine, you can't get polio. You get the COVID vaccine, you can still get COVID. But it is, I think, pretty well documented through Harvard Medical School, John Hopkins, Mayo Clinic, that typically you won't get as sick or there's less likeliness that you could die, though people still get very sick and still die, but less likely if you're vaccinated. So I just said to him, understand the Marine Corps' argument. If someone is sick on the field who's not been vaccinated, you're not going to leave them there. A Marine would never do that. They, they always go after their own. Even if they've been gone 30 years, they're still looking for them. That's the spirit of the Marine Corps. Uh, I said to two of these brothers, I said, look, if, if someone commits uh, adultery at Walmart, they don't care. you got a job tomorrow. You commit adultery in the Marine Corps, you're out of a job because you fall under a different set of rules. So the mandate idea and constitutional freedoms, I think, are being violated, and people need to kick back, but just be prepared. You know, we've had three people in our church who are federal employees who just said, I'm not getting the vaccine, and they're prepared to lose their jobs. Just be prepared. Just be prepared for that. I counseled someone just last Thursday, same deal, federal employee, Uh, He says, I'm not getting the vaccine. His wife didn't want it. She got, like, deathly sick. But for her to continue in her medical profession, she had to have it within 15 minutes. She was having trouble. And three months later, she's still having trouble. So, you know, you've got to weigh it before the Lord, what he wants you to do. And listen, you're hearing from someone who's never even had a flu shot in his life. 
But for the sake of the gospel, I got it. I asked the Lord for his protection. I got Pfizer because that's the one the Jewish people are getting. I know they're not going to be wiped out as a nation because God's going to fulfill his prophetic plan through them. But I think we need to voice our opinion. And if we just bow down to AOC and this liberal left who are in favor of murdering babies, who are in favor of heralding perversion, and we say nothing and do nothing, we're going to lose our country. We're going to lose our country. And it may already be too late. God only knows. Anyway, um, I don't really want to take vaccination questions because they don't usually end up. But I will say this, and I, I did a little video spot for our people recently about the unity that God calls the body of Christ to have, that he doesn't want us to be divided. So if you're in some church and someone comes in with a mask and you look down on them, you're, you're the one with the problem. If they want to wear a mask, let them wear a mask. Um, but don't, you know, take your freedom and impose it upon them because that would be in violation of Romans 14 and 15. And those of us who are commanded by God to um, make sure that we do everything possible to preserve the unity of the spirit. Good question. Okay. Well, um, we're about out of time. I think we did have one question from uh, uh, Debbie in uh, Jasper County. She wanted you to address some of the political issues Christians are facing, such as mandatory vaccinations, possible job loss, even those who have had COVID, as well as if biblically standing against tyranny is a personal prayerful situation or a patriotic right. And you pretty much covered that I think so. in all yeah, of these comments. I think but so. Yeah. I'd refer her to your God and government uh, yeah, message. Yeah, that would be a great message. Of uh-huh. January yep. 17th. And that you can find that on searchthescriptures.org as well as the Bible line September 14th. Okay, what um, year? This year. This year, okay. That you covered this uh, in, in great yeah. detail All as right. well. good, good. All right, so Remind future, them about Friend Day. Yeah, Friend Day, this Sunday, Community Bible Church, you're listening to me. You're not 100% sure that if you died in the next 10 seconds, you'd go to heaven, you need to come. I mean, what is more important than that? And just saying you're 100, of course, doesn't make it true. You can have a false assurance. But maybe there's a friend, a relative, uh, a neighbor, a co-worker that you know have never met Christ in a saving way, this would be a great Sunday to bring them. Saturday night, fall festival, starting at 4 to 8 o'clock in the evening, an event for young and old. And then Friend Day the next day, our two services, 9:15 and 11, as well as in Grays, South Carolina, our Grays campus, along with Graniteville, South Carolina. You know anyone in Aiken County, This is an opportunity for them as well. Thanks so much for being with us today on The Bible Line. Have a great day as you walk with Jesus Christ. 